0: was um, Corrie Ten Boom, you know, the Christian lady who was in Ravensbrook concentration camp in the Second World War. And she's got these lovely little quotes, is not she, if you've read her, her books or traced her story. Um, she said that if you look at the world, you will be distressed. And if you look at yourself within, you will be depressed. And then she says, if you look at Christ, you will be at rest. And uh, bearing that little word in mind, that's really what I want us to do this evening from Luke chapter 4, is to to look, uh, encourage you to look, and myself to keep on looking to the Lord Jesus Christ, to find our rest in Him. And um, the first 15 verses of the Gospel of Luke uh, remind us of the temptations of Jesus. And uh, I I, I want to take this note of uh, victory. Uh, When Adam was tempted, we know that he fell, and the whole world fell with him. At the end of chapter three, there's there's an interesting link, isn't there? Because in Luke's gospel, Luke gives a genealogy or a family tree uh, of the Lord Jesus. And he he, he goes back, he traces it back all the way to Adam. Uh, A bit different to the genealogy in Matthew's gospel, which is taken back to Abraham to prove to the Jews that Christ is the Messiah. But Luke's genealogy goes all the way back to Adam. Um, Abraham is mentioned in this one as well, and, and David. Uh, But all the way back to Adam, the end of chapter 3, verse 38, Jesus, the son of Adam, the son of God. And and then there's this link in chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus, being filled with the Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And uh, it's as if Luke, when he's recording his gospel, he wants us to think of of Jesus now as uh, the second man or the last Adam. And whereas the first Adam fell into sin, And brought the whole world down into sin and death. Uh, Now uh, God is sending his son into the world. And uh, he's described by Paul as we know in Corinthians as as the last Adam. And uh, somebody's made the comment that in Genesis 3 you have the fall of man. And now in Luke chapter 3, chapter 4 you have the standing of man. Uh, You have a victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's the one that we are to look to and he's the one that we to fix our eyes upon, the eyes of faith. And uh, so that's, that's what I want us to, to think about uh, this evening. Uh, we are told in verse one that Jesus is led by the spirit into the wilderness. Um, I, I remember some uh, Christians and, and uh, speakers saying um, when I was first converted, you know, what, what an audacity Satan has. What, what a nerve, you know, to tempt Jesus. Uh, to attack him, as it were. But um, we find here in, in these verses that Luke says that uh, Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit. He's baptized, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And so we, we have to think of it not so much as Satan in control, but God taking the initiative. And uh, Jesus is taking Satan on, and he's going to win the day on our behalf And it's a tremendous theme. And uh, at the end of uh, verse 14 that we read, uh, the 14th verse, after the temptations, we are told that Jesus returns in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. So after the temptations, you notice that there's that note of victory there. Uh, Christ defeats Satan. It's not the end of the temptations of the Lord, we know. It's not the end of his troubles. The cross is still ahead of him. But right at the beginning of his ministry, that there's a note of victory that, that Christ has come to defeat the, the devil. There are some interesting parallels, aren't there, with Adam in, in the Garden of Eden. Uh, Adam was in a paradise. Jesus, we are told here in verse 1, was in the wilderness. Uh, Adam was surrounded by God's goodness and evidences of the mercies of God. Uh, Jesus is on his own. Adam had a helpmeet, uh, The woman, Eve, To help him. Jesus is in the wilderness on his own. Uh, Forty days are mentioned in verse two. Uh, Reminding us and taking us back to the Israelites in the Old Testament. And we think of their uh, uh, testings and their grumblings in the wilderness for 40 years. And uh, it reminds us that, you know, that Jesus is uh, the true son, the obedient son. Uh, Israel, the disobedient son. Uh, But Christ the obedient one, and uh, he's coming to to lead, uh, to to take on Satan and to bind him. And uh, it's crucial to know who the victor is, isn't it? You may have heard uh, the the story of, um, you know, the Battle of Waterloo, uh, when uh, the news came a little bit at a time that um, Wellington, the Duke of Wellington had beaten Napoleon, but the message was staggered. And the people only received a little bit of the message first. The first part of the message said, uh, Wellington defeated. And uh, the people didn't think that it was good news, thought it was bad news. But then the rest of the message came. Wellington defeated Napoleon at Waterloo. And it's important to get the whole message, isn't it? Not, not part of the message. And uh, Luke is reminding us here, I think, in Luke chapter 4, uh, that the Lord Jesus Christ... Uh, Comes against the devil, he takes him on. The devil tries to get him to sin, but fails. And the Lord Jesus Christ uh, is victor right at the start uh, of his ministry. Uh, You remember other verses where we are told about this victory. Jesus speaks, for example, in John chapter 16, verse 33, uh, and he says to his disciples, In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. The word cheer means confidence. We just sang about that in that opening song. Uh, Your confidence let nothing shake. Uh, and the word cheer that Jesus gives to the disciples means boldness. Be confident, Jesus says, why? Well, then he says, because I have overcome the world. I have overcome. This is before the cross and the resurrection, but it, he has obviously those things in view. Uh, but the Lord is, has won the victory. And and we are to live in the light of his victory. Um, You remember in this very gospel, in the gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verse 22, Jesus speaks about Satan and he describes him as uh, he's like a strong man. And he's got all his goods in peace and nobody can trouble him. And the only way he can be defeated, Jesus says, is, is if a stronger one takes him and binds him. And, of course, the the reference there surely is is the Lord Jesus. He is the stronger one. And uh, he comes into the world and he casts out evil spirits. And the finger of God comes, Jesus says. And uh, Satan is bound. Or you get that um, passage in the last book of the Bible in Revelation chapter 20 where we are told that an angel comes down from heaven and he's got a great chain in his hand. And he binds the devil for a thousand years. I suppose we should acknowledge that um, Christians take a different view um, on that um, passage, uh, but my, my own view of it is that that's not a future event, but something that's already happened. Christ has bound Satan. John Stott puts it like this uh, regarding Revelation 20. He says that uh, Satan is, is uh, Revelation 20 does not say that Satan is bound in regard to all his activities, but only in regard to his deception of the nations. Revelation 20 says the the chain is wrapped around the devil. He's bound in order that he does not deceive the nations anymore. And and we could link that verse or that passage into this one, couldn't we? Luke 4, Luke 11. Satan is coming to tempt Jesus, but the, the Lord Jesus Christ is coming to bind him. To put him in his place, as it were, and to win the victory at the start of his ministry. And so let's uh, consider together this evening, for the, the, the time we have before prayer time, uh, th- these uh, 15 verses. I'm not going to go through each verse one by one, uh, but particularly just want to look at the Lord's response to the devil's temptations and uh, thinking of it in terms of, of Jesus winning the victory over the devil. And uh, what, what kind of a victory is it? What kind of victory does Jesus win when he resists the devil? And uh, the first one, the first temptation, as we know, is found there as we read it in verses 3 and 4. The devil says to the Lord, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Could we say that the the victory of the Lord Jesus when he binds the devil at the beginning of his his ministry is a victory of trust? It's a victory of trust. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And uh, uh, our minds, of course, go back, don't they, to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, where the first Adam... Uh, is tempted, or, or the woman is tempted first, and uh, then she goes to her husband to partake of the fruit. And uh, you, you remember what the devil says uh, to the woman in Genesis three, verse one: uh, "Has God said?" It was an attack upon the word of God from the very outset. Uh, that the word of God its truthfulness, its reliability, and uh, Adam failed to trust God's word? Has God said? Is God's word reliable? The first words of, of the devil in, into the year the, the of the woman. And uh, that, that, that was sad, wasn't it? Because uh, Adam and the woman were living in a paradise. They were surrounded with um, the evidences of God's goodness. And uh, now the Lord Jesus Christ is tempted in the same way. Uh, Some say that in verse 3, if you are the son of God, that um, uh, some say the devil is there questioning or trying to put a doubt in the Lord's mind uh, as to whether he is the son of God. Or you could take it uh, that the devil is simply saying, since you are the son of God, you are the son of God, so why are you in this predicament of not having any food? Why has your father left you in this place? without any bread to eat, are you sure that you can trust him? Just as the devil tempted the woman, has God said, is God's word reliable? So the devil now comes to the Lord Jesus Christ in the the same way with a similar temptation. And uh, how does the Lord reply? Well, he he quotes from the scriptures from Deuteronomy chapter 8. And uh, he replies, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Uh, The the full verse from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse uh, 3, reads like this. Uh, Moses reminding the Israelites, God humbled you. He allowed you to hunger. He fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know in order that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So the verse in Deuteronomy explains the reason for God's trials. God allowed you to hunger uh, in order that he he might make you know. What did God want to make them to know in their troubles, in their temptations, Uh, in order that they might rely more upon God and trust his every word. That even though when they were in the wilderness without food, they knew or they ought to have known that they could rely upon God. And now the Lord Jesus in his reply to the devil, uh, can you see that he's doing what Adam should have done? How should Adam have responded to to his wife? Well, he he should have trusted God's word, shouldn't he? He should have refused the temptation. He should have said, we can trust God for everything. And yet he didn't, and he fell. And the whole world is brought down with him. And uh, now the Lord Jesus wins this victory. Luke chapter 4, verse 4. It's a victory of trust. The Lord Jesus Christ as our representative, our head, our saviour, uh, he's trusting his father. We know that famous statement by Martin Luther um, when he stood at the Diet of Worms. And uh, he made that famous statement, didn't he, um, about the word of God. And he said, here I stand, I can do no other. So help me God. He stood on the word of God and trusted God's word. But, but long, long before Martin Luther did that, the Lord Jesus Christ did it, didn't he? He stood where Adam failed. Paul describes our Savior in Corinthians as the last Adam. Um, I'm sure you know the illustration from one of the Puritans. And uh, he says that there there have only ever been two giants in the world, two representative heads. One was Adam, and the other is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the great Puritan preacher, was it Thomas Brooks? I think it was Thomas Brooks, and he uh, he, he describes Adam, you know, as a great giant, and we're all hanging from his belt. And when Adam falls, we all fall with him. And that's what happened in the Garden of Eden. William Williams puts it so well in his famous hymn, Williams Pantakel, in, in Eden, sad indeed that day, my countless blessings fled away. Adam failed to trust God, and uh, the, the world fell. But you're in Luke 4, Luke is recording for us that the Lord Jesus Christ is in that family tree. Uh, He's a human being living in this world and he's now taking the devil on. Same temptation. Does the Lord Jesus Christ fail? Does he fall? No, he doesn't fall. He stands. And he trusts his father. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And uh, Adam in the Garden of Eden had everything. He was in a paradise. There was no need for him not to trust God. The Lord Jesus Christ was in a wilderness. There was nothing but rocks and stones. Everything was against him. But he stood firm. And uh, he did what a human being ought to do. Trust God, God's every word. And uh, he overcame at that point. It was a victory of trust. Trust in every word of God. We could say more on verse four, can we? Uh, but let's come um, quickly to the, the, to the next one. Uh, could we say that the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ, when he's tempted of the devil, is a victory of worship. Uh, in verses 5 to 8, the devil takes the Lord unto a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. All this authority, Satan says, I'll give you and their glory for this has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. Maybe there we do see the audacity of the devil uh, as, uh, as he, he claims that position of, Of worship, and he says to the Lord in verse 7 If you will worship before me, all will be yours. Then Jesus answers and says to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. What was the victory of the Lord Jesus? It was a victory of trust, but it was also a victory of worship. What happened in the Garden of Eden? When the woman began to listen to the devil's voice, <clears throat> well, we're told in Genesis 3, when the woman saw the tree that it was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes. First of all, she listened to his voice and she, she failed to trust God, but then she began to see things and uh, things in creation that were pleasant and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. and. And we could say she took her eyes off, off the beauty and majesty of God and she began to see things in creation and she desired those things more than she desired God. Paul says in Romans 1 that the fault of the world is that they worship the creature rather than the creator. It was an issue of worship, wasn't it? The devil disguised himself. He didn't appear as the devil, we could say. He came through the creation. And and he tempted Adam and Eve to go after things that they could see with their eyes and they could take hold of. And that was a tragedy, wasn't it, when Adam fell into sin? Sad indeed that day, my countless blessings fled away. My crown fell in disgrace. And uh, e- ever since that day, uh, Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man into sin, idolatry in the world. I'm sure you know that famous statement by John Calvin uh, where he says that the, the, the human heart is an idol factory. Uh, Tim, Tim Keller, the um, Presbyterian minister in New York, he's got a book called Counterfeit Gods. And uh, he asks the question what is an idol? And he answers it in a simple way. Uh, an idol is, is anything uh, more important to you than God. It is anything that ab- absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. And in the Garden of Eden, isn't that, isn't that what happened to Adam and Eve? The woman took her eyes off God and she began to desire things in the world more. And uh, saw uh, idolatry in the human heart 17th century uh, minister, David Clarkson. And uh, he says, uh, if we think of our own soul as a house, idols are set up in every room. Kind of a spiritual way of thinking. Imagine your soul as a house. Many rooms in that house. And as an idol in every room. The words of um, William Cowper, you remember, in his famous hymn. The dearest idol I have known, he's praying as a Christian and he says, The dearest idol, Lord, I have known, whatever that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. Uh, These thoughts condemn us, don't they? Because idolatry is in our heart. We can easily take our eyes off God. As the woman did, as Adam did in the Garden of Eden. What about the Lord Jesus Christ? What did he do? All this will be yours, the devil says, all these kingdoms of the world will be yours if you fall down and worship me. Jesus again replies from Deuteronomy uh, chapter six and chapter 10, get behind me Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. He refuses to worship the devil It was a a despicable temptation, wasn't it, to think of the Son of God, God the Son, who'd come down into the world, to be faced with this temptation of of, uh, worshipping Satan. But the Lord Jesus resists it. It's a victory of worship. Get behind me, Satan. Worship the Lord your God. And then the connecting part in the sentence Uh, how how does a person worship God? Well, it's it's not always about public worship or the singing of hymns or songs, is it? Uh, The Lord Jesus then says, and him only you shall serve. It's about service. It's about knowing your rightful place as, as as a created being in the world and acknowledging that God is God and humbling yourself before him and worshiping him in service. And that's what the Lord Jesus does. It's a victory of worship when Jesus overcomes the devil at the beginning uh, of his ministry. You remember how in the last book of the Bible, in Revelation chapter uh, 20, we are told that Jesus uh, opens the door of heaven, the tree of life, and uh, because of the work of Christ, we are taken back into heaven. What, what Adam and, uh, Adam lost for us in the Garden of Eden has been restored and recovered and And now the the door of heaven is open and we can go back into heaven and we can worship God. And we are told about the Lamb of God in heaven who leads God's people to the fountain of living waters. There's a restoration of the true worship of God, but it only comes to us because Jesus has won the victory. We can't get there by our own efforts or works. We can't uh, achieve heaven on our own. Uh, The Lord Jesus wins this victory for us. Our hearts are are an idol factory, but the Son of God has come, and and through him we are able to come back to God. One of the simple little Bible songs I used to sing in Sunday school as a boy, Uh, you probably know it, There, there is a way back to God from the dark paths of sin. There's a door that is open and you may go in. At Calvary's cross is where you begin when you come as a sinner to Jesus. That's the way back, isn't it? Through the Lord Jesus, we we come back to God, and through the Lamb of God who gives himself for us. So, the the victory of the Lord Jesus, Luke records in Luke 4, is, is a victory of trust, it's a victory of worship. We go to the next temptation we're only skimming the surface really of these temptations but but in verses 9 to 12 it's also a victory of obedience the devil doesn't stop with his temptations he comes to the Lord he brings him to Jerusalem verse 9 he sets him on the pinnacle of a temple uh, and says to him if you are the son of God throw yourself down from here for it is written and, and this time the devil himself quotes Psalm 91 one Bible commentator says, here comes the devil with the Bible under his arm. He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Throw yourself off the, the pinnacle of the temple, a 400 foot drop. And, and, and get God to do something sensational. Send the angels and, and, and uh, the, the word of God says, you won't come to any harm. You can do this, you you, you can do this, and you'll still be safe. And uh, the, the Lord Jesus replies again, resisting the temptation in verse 12. It has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Shall not put him to the test. Uh, There there are extreme examples of this, I suppose, aren't there? Uh, Do you remember the the extreme Pentecostal group in America many years ago? They were called the snake handlers. And, uh, you know, on on a Sunday service, they would bring snakes into the service. And then you would would go to the front and you would get bitten by the snake. And then the purpose of doing that was so that you could, could then call on God for healing and prove that God could heal you. But it was putting God to the test, wasn't it? It's an extreme example, and we can spot that a mile away, I'm sure. And, uh, and yet there are some more um, subtle ways, I suppose, where we can put God to the test. Push the boundaries of sin. Doesn't matter if I sin because once saved, always saved. And uh, God will forgive me of my sins anyway. It doesn't matter if I sin, I, I can get away with a few things. It's putting God to the test, isn't it? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No, no, God forbid. Paul says in Romans 6 uh, or, or demanding that God do something for you. Jesus, in his reply in verse 12, he, he again quotes from Deuteronomy and um, Deuteronomy chapter uh, 8 and verse 16. Uh, And Jesus gives the story there. um, Moses, rather, gives the story to the Israelites that uh, you you are not to tempt the Lord your God. Uh, And then he says this, you shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord, his testimonies and his statutes which he's commanded you, and you shall do what is right in the sight of the Lord. And uh, Jesus resists the temptation His victory was a victory of obedience. Interesting in that verse in in Deuteronomy and and the the, the 16th verse of that chapter, you shall not tempt the Lord your God, but you shall diligently keep the commandments. What's the opposite of the opposite of tempting God, putting God to the test. The opposite of of that is diligently obeying him. Can you see here in Luke 4 verse 12, that's what the Lord Jesus does. He refuses to put God to the test. And um, he obeys what God wants him to do. Why has the Lord Jesus Christ come into the world? What was his purpose? Well, in John chapter 14, verse 31, uh, the Lord Jesus says to his disciples that uh, the Father has given to me a commandment. What was that commandment? To go to the cross. That's what the Father wanted him to do. We know that when he came into the world, there there were other aspects of that. Uh, There was a preaching ministry, there was a a, a miracle ministry, we can say, and and supernatural things. But but the the main purpose of his mission was his, his death on the cross. And Jesus refuses you, the devil. He refuses to throw himself off the pinnacle of the temple to, to get God to send his angels to keep him safe. He's determined to obey his father right at the beginning of his ministry. In chapter 3, he's got baptized by John. Dale Ralph Davis, in his commentary on Luke, on these passages, he says, that at the River Jordan, the shadow of the cross falls on the river Jordan. Right at the start of his ministry, Jesus identifies with sinners. And he knows what he's got to do, and he's focused. You can now see it here in chapter 4, when the devil is trying to get Jesus to do this or do that, to to stray from his mission of the cross. Jesus says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God, but but diligently keep the commandments of the Lord. And my father has given me a commandment. And three years before Calvary, the Lord Jesus is focused and he wins that victory of obedience and he overcomes the devil. We read then in verse 13 uh, that uh, the devil ends the temptations for a while. And he departs from Jesus until an opportune time. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. You see what Luke is saying to us there. You know, the Lord Jesus wasn't weak and defeated. Uh, His head wasn't hanging low after his temptations. He hadn't failed. As a result of the temptations, the power of the Spirit is upon him. There's There's a note of victory there. Adam fell, but Jesus stood firm. And he won the victory for us. And uh, so what, what does all that mean for us? This, uh, this victory of trust, trusting in every word of God, a victory of worship, Jesus worshiping God and, and then bringing us with him as we follow him into the worship of God, A victory of obedience, not putting God to the test but obeying what the Father wanted him to do. Well, this is a tremendous encouragement to us, isn't it? We don't want to bury our heads in the sand, as it were, and uh, ignore what's going on in the world. We know that uh, the world is full of troubles. I'm sure sure our thoughts and prayers uh, are with brothers and sisters this evening in the Ukraine. Uh, Did you see that video of um, a Ukraine family sitting around... um, a table singing Uh, last week or the week before and they were singing the the hymn, uh, He Will Hold Me Fast. You know, just one family. Where was their focus? On the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, My faith could never keep its hold, but here is one who's gone before us and he's won the victory. And so we are to look to him. Let me give the the last word this evening before prayer time to um, the great hymn writer, Isaac Watts. And he tells us what to do in one of his great hymns. So let me finish with these words. As we think of the Lord Jesus in Luke chapter 4, winning this victory over the devil, right at the start of his ministry. Here is our great leader, our captain, our head. Isaac Watts says this. Uh, join all the glorious names, you know that hymn. And in, in two of the verses he says, Then let my soul arise and tread the tempter down. My captain leads me forth to conquest and a crown. A feeble saint shall win the day, though death and hell obstruct the way. Should all the hosts of death and powers of hell unknown put their most dreadful forms of rage and malice on, I shall be safe for Christ displays superior power and guardian grace. There was a a giant called Adam, but he fell and we all fell. But thank God this evening in this world that we're living in, there's another giant, the Lord Jesus. And joined to him, you know, we, we stand behind him and we share his victory. And we are more than conquerors through him, who loved us. Is Christ your captain? If he's not, then ask him to be. Hide behind the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not strong enough on your own, none of us are. Uh, But Christ has won the victory for us. And in Jesus we can rise and uh, we can come to God through the Savior.